This episode is sponsored by Scofton, which is a great place to get great grub on this great worker placement game which is on Kickstarter right now until the middle of November. And now, on with the show. of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for October. It's the 10th month. Lots of things can happen in 10 months. You know, I reckon. Lots of things. Different things. You can do lots of different things with your life. You can um, continue to be involved in kind of giving people advice on board games and designing them and stuff like that. You might even jump on and maybe fill the shoes of somebody who's left from a rather big board game type podcast type thing. Um, You might be going on and getting married. You know, all these things might happen in that type of space of time. I would not be the person to talk about these things. So I needed to go out there and find somebody who has had those type of experiences in the last 10 months. So with me, I've got Emma Larkins, who's here to chat all about different stuff. Again. So hello Emma, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Yeah. <laughs> good. Good is good. good. Good is good. Good is good. Do you know what? Yesterday it was my son's birthday. Oh and we went Yay. We went we went to a fake ski sl- ski slope and uh, in those fake ski slopes they had tubing. And tubing, I don't know if you've ever done this, but it's what happens when you sit inside a big inflatable rubber ring mm. and you go da- you go down a hill on artificial grass at breakneck speed mm. and you wish you'd fi- you wish you'd completed your will basically because <laughs> yeah. it's that type mm-hmm. of, it's that type of thing so that's where i am i'm living life dangerously on the edge nothing can stop me um, <laughs> you know um it's scary but you just have to jump in yeah and do it which is what you've been doing isn't it? <laughs> lots of things yeah have been happening um first of all congratulations on getting married thank you yeah i people are still surprised sometimes by that uh we eloped just the two of us so if you are mad anyone out there listening that you weren't invited no one was invited our parents weren't invited so it's a very personal uh intimate sort of a thing there's these really cool tree house tree houses in washington where you just like um this dude who has a tv show he goes around the country building them and so we got to stay in a treehouse that had heating and a bathroom, and it was like multiple stories. So it was really cool, really fun. That doesn't sound like a treehouse. That <laughs> sounds like a just that just sounds like a hotel. It was mm. attached to a tree. I mean, it was supported from the ground, but there was a tree in the middle of it. Oh, and it was a treehouse because it moved. That was the freaky part. Like wow. we were up there, and it, yeah. the tree was huge. It was like you know six feet across, but you could feel it moving, and it was. A little bit scary. So was that where was that where you kind of spent the kind of the the honeymoon eloped to kind of place? Yeah, it was really it was short and sweet. We were there for a couple of days. Oh. Uh, what we appreciated is they took care of everything because yeah. hearing my friends' weddings and getting married, I'm like that sounds terrifying. Just the the planning, people spending years, and then getting the venue and the food, and it's just like all this stuff and. They had an elopement package. They're like, here's your wow. cake. Here's your flowers. Here's your photographer. We're like, yes. They just like that. Where does just add to basket kind of what you wanted? Yeah. Because I know yeah. people I know people that like come to blows almost mm. talking about sugared almonds. Yes. And whether or not and whether or not the third cousin, you know, Stephanie mm-hmm. and her husband Derek 
are going to like the sugared almonds if they're white sugared almonds or cream mm-hmm. sugar almonds. And Derek doesn't want pink sugared almonds at the table or blue ones because oh, no. he just wants white ones. And they spend ages arguing over the finer points. And then come the day, mm-hmm. you just forget about the almonds. Yeah. There's no almonds. Yeah. You're getting married. You know, the yeah. almonds can do whatever they want. You get to this point where I don't care. It's my wedding day. Let yeah. the almonds mix. I don't right. kind of care. But that's kind of cool. It's kind of cool that you were in a, a tree house. I bet, mm-hmm. I bet it's like, I'll take guesses for your life what was going to happen, that you were going to be spending like the couple of days of like getting married in a tree house. I don't know if you would have even, you would have went, nah, go away. Leave us oh maybe gosh. it was a personal dream. Maybe it was a personal dream. Maybe you thought. Oh, no, no, no. I, I had never really thought about it, honestly. Like, <laughs> you know, I guess I kind of thought I'll probably get married eventually, but I'd never mm. like really dreamed about weddings or anything. I think that's why uh, that's nice. You know, you put so much pressure on it that it's like, like you said, it's the one of the best moments of your life it gets to be really stressful. And this is just kind of like nice and chill. And it was a good fit for us. Yeah. So you were able to go back in and get involved in kind of more important things again, like playing board games. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Straight back to the board games. <laughs> yeah, more important than getting married, you know. <laughs> the, the important life stuff. I'd just like to remind you that this has been recorded. <laughs> so. uh, just kidding, Phil. Phil, you're great. Yeah, uh, Phil, Phil no, is uh, very supportive of yeah. my, my dreams and my goals. He's goes to conventions with me, helps demo my games. Uh, we're working mm-hmm. on... We're going to publish games eventually. Uh, he yeah. has a game that he's been designing for years. I don't know if we talked about this last time. But um, we're, we're kind of like slowly ramping up to probably do a Kickstarter. I don't want to say next year because that already sounds super soon. But yeah, we would eventually like to do the publishing as well as designing. So have you still been pretty active on the scene in terms of like kind of giving advice and, and kind of helping out people where they, where they, where they can? I mean... Um, obviously, one of the bigger bits of news mm. was your kind of joining the Ludology podcast, um, which must have been. I mean, how did that come about? First of all, I mean, was that, <laughs> <laughs> did you did you kind of go, oh my goodness, or I mean, was it in discussion for some time? Or, mm. I mean, how did how did it kind of happen? Oh wow, I uh, like petitioned and I had this whole uh, like rally set up and I had people emailing them from all sides uh, trying to get me on this podcast because I was so so gung-ho about it uh, that's a complete lie that's none of that actually happened uh, I saw the I saw the buttons in the YouTube video yeah you know I you know I I, I wasn't sure of your slogan but mm-hmm. you know um, it, I think it kind of obviously it obviously kind of worked. Um, mm. Is this you? Is this you practicing in your run up to run for the presidency? You <laughs> thought if <laughs> if I can get mm-hmm. if I can get myself on Ludology, right? This is going to be the the White House is just going to be a stroll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, so what actually happened is uh, Gilhova, who I've known for many years, we used to be in the design group in New York City. He was one of the first people. Uh, other than, like, Phil, my husband, he tested my games first. Gilhova was one of the first people who ever tested one of my games, had amazing feedback. I was very new, just uh, just getting into game design, and Gil was very supportive of that. So, flash forward yeah. years, Gil sends me a Facebook message. Uh-huh. Uh, let me, oh man, I should have looked this up beforehand so I could see what it actually was because it's something like completely innocuous like hey uh what's up you know what what have you been up to um oh and in the interim i'd also worked with gil i worked his booth as one yeah. of his uh, ga- uh cheese weasels or whatever he calls them for demoing his game so we'd worked together before um yeah so gil facebook messages me out of the blue he's like hey what's up you know uh what's going on and uh, I'm like, oh, you know, things things are going well. Like, how you doing? And then I think he just like, uh, do you want to be the new host of Ludology? 
<laughs> it was like that. Yeah, it was something like, yeah, it was very much like no beating around the bush. It was just like, bam, right there. And uh, I mean, I my knees went weak at that point. I was just like completely overwhelmed and surprised, gobsmacked, I think is a good word for it. So I just like, uh, well, yeah, <laughs> like I was... <laughs> excited about it I, I i felt completely unqualified you know the the i i like we talked about before we started recording uh, i've done some things i've designed some games i've yeah, been working yeah. in the industry for a little while but just the the pedigree and just the decades of experience and like gil scott jeff all being professors of game design you know felt definitely felt a little intimidating but Gil and I talked a little bit on Messenger about what he was looking for. Um, and after we discussed it, like the reasons he had for me coming on, um, I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I think in these, th- I think yeah. in these things, I think in these things, when you've got like an established format, mm. I think there's only so many, I mean, I've done a few episodes now. I've done a couple of, well, 300, I get embarrassed, but, mm. But sometimes you'll listen to like episodes and I'll find myself kind of alluding or saying something along the same lines and the same things. And I think sometimes it's nice to have a different take on something Mm. just to kind of like freshen things up. And also somebody who, I know you're like, oh, I've not got as much experience as everybody. Mm. But I mean, at the same time, sometimes... This, we've done this this way for the last kind of 15 years isn't the best way kind of forward yeah yeah you know and you know that's that's kind of like um that's what i that's what my take is it whenever mm. i hear somebody you know taking over when um you know jumping into a new slot or you know i know it's you know obviously intimidating i i would have just you know if gil had sent me that message i would have went why where did you get my details <laughs> from and we've never spoken <laughs> so i'm yeah. asking who's I'm this kind of, horrifically embarrassed at the fact I'd never asked him on the show mm. and this is probably guaranteeing that he'll never ever get on the show because you think you know you've, you've passed me by you've never ever asked me you're <laughs> never ever going to ask me again mm. um were you nervous about it or were you just a case of well let's kind of just jump in and see what happens because you've always struck me as somebody who's very much a kind of let's just kind of jump in and see what happens <laughs> mm. as opposed to kind of, and let's worry what happened. Let's worry about fixing stuff kind of later on, as opposed to coming up with, you know, 52 page spreadsheets about mm. this is what I'm going to kind of organize and talk about kind of thing. Yeah. I was definitely nervous getting into it. Uh, and that's Gil said the same thing about, shaking things up and mm-hmm. having new perspectives on the show. I <laughs> kind of embarrassed to admit, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts and I have a huge list of things in my queue that I really want to listen mm-hmm. to, but it's a yeah. little tricky for me because some people can listen to them uh, while they're working, while they're doing something else. I need to be completely focused on it. Like I, yeah. I really care about the stuff that's going on in the podcast. So and it's hard to find that dedicated time just to sit down and listen to a podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But Ludology is one that I had listened to for, for years at that point. And it was definitely one of my favorites, like a mix of really smart, intelligent stuff and then entertainment value. You know, I think a podcast needs to be fun to listen to. It doesn't matter how smart the people are. If they're boring, then no one's going to listen to it, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I could see, I saw that through line for me potentially being a person who could shake things up a little bit. And that's definitely what I did do (laughs) almost immediately coming on to the podcast is just, you know, have a a different way of looking at things, have a lot of different design experiences, like come from a different background. Um, But yeah, it's... I, I've practiced a lot at this point. Like I've also been doing a lot of streaming lately. So I've gotten a lot more yeah. comfortable talking <laughs> to people either recorded or, I mean, once you've done streaming, it's hard to get nervous about things cause you're live. 
someone te- you're doing live <laughs> exactly. streaming you're like oh my gosh i just said something that was really dumb and people saw that and i can't do anything about it so at that point you're just like oh the world didn't catch on fire so i guess it's okay well that's why i don't do streaming yeah because i would just <laughs> you know yeah i could just imagine me just mm-hmm. you know just coming out and saying the most ridiculous thing you yeah know? i would just go like and you know, flip the burden. This is for Jamie Stegmaier kind of thing. <laughs> and then uh-huh. you know, that would be you know, that would be it. That would be finished. Mm. Um, you know, I'd be I'd be I'd be I'd be barred, mm. you know. Or um, you'd become I've a superstar. Have... <laughs> yeah, and you just kinda keep doing it yeah. until and then people just kinda keep kinda forgiving you, which is all kind of which is all kind of fine. Mm. Um did you have a kind of an idea of topics you wanted to bring in? And kind mm. of discuss as well you know was he just were you kind of just saying well i'll just turn up whatever they discuss i'll just kind of pitch in or did you feel it was you know did you feel you were like well i'm just gonna say well let's talk about this or let's talk mm. about that because i feel kind of this is an important thing to talk about uh, i think very much from the beginning i realized what a collaborative process leadology is <laughs> i kind of had an expectation you know, I'm like, they know what they're doing. They're going to have everything laid out. Yeah. It's going to be a while before uh, before I jump in and start giving feedback. But almost immediately, it was like I was on the show notes. I was giving ideas. I was doing suggestions for guests for the podcast. So, uh, <laughs> like it or not, I guess I would say, I was thinking, and that was part of the reason I wasn't so nervous. I'm like, oh, I can kind of lean on them and like ease mm-hmm. into it. And But it wasn't like that at all. It's like right from the game. It's just like, boosh, like you're right. <laughs> you're right there in the mix. Uh, so it was a little scary, but uh, also exciting. For, for me, my vision right from the beginning coming on is, you know, like, like we, we just mentioned, I really wanted to explore new topics, think about things in new ways, uh, get on new guests that hadn't been on before, and even kinds of people who someone would look at and be like, oh, I don't know if they're a really great fit for Ludology, because in the past, Ludology has been pretty traditional, focused on Euro game designers and hobby game designers and, you know, a very specific niche of people. And it was always my intention from the beginning to kind of blow that wide open and, you know, get on new voices and new perspectives, shake things up. Have you been kind of looking at how do you raise kind of like the voices and profiles of people that would maybe be seen as kind of less represented in mm. the industry? Oh yeah, absolutely. That. Yeah. But I mean, also at the same time, you you don't kind of want to be just known as that person, you know, because that, that'll be like, okay, but that's, that's fine. But let's talk about the genuine yes, exactly. everyday kind of stuff. So it's kind of like getting a, getting a kind of balance. What's um what's the feedback been like in terms of you know the episodes that you've been on? Have you have you kind of stayed away from looking at feedback, or have you been like doing what I do, which is like every time somebody makes a comment, it's like <laughs> did d- they mean that was rubbish and <laughs> good? <laughs> I I don't. It's been really positive i'm kind of Mm. almost waiting for the other shoe to drop or however the saying goes but Mm. um i i was you know really expecting blowback on it because there's a lot of very experienced designers out there you know for nobody knew that the switchover was coming until it happened but for um if they had known, you know, I'm sure people would have had opinions, like they're going to poll who should be the next host. I'm pretty sure I would not have been uh, one of the, the selections that naturally bubbled to the top. But it's just been amazing. People at Shucks really um, was a show I went to recently that had amazingly positive feedback. For Gen Con, I went to before Shucks. Yeah. Uh, I think... With Gen Con, though, I was just running around like a crazy person. I didn't stay mm. in one spot for more than five minutes, so nobody could, like, get a hold of me. But shucks, I was just there. I was just, like, in the hall, and just multiple people came up to me. It's like, I really like what you're doing with Udology. Like, 
you specifically, what you have brought to the show. I really appreciate that. And it's always overwhelmed me so much, like now looking back on it, be like, wait, but why? <laughs> you can't really say that, right? Like someone's like the proper response is, exactly. oh, thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate so that. Much. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, but why them, though? <laughs> grabbing them by their shoulders. And why? Going, damn, damn fool. <laughs> you know, look at, you know, I, I kind of, I think it's like imposter syndrome. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. it's like, um, it's the kind of thing where you're kind of, you're walking around and you realise that some people know you, but you also, at the same time, there's a lot of people who don't kind of know you. Mm. And it's kind of like you reach that point where I'm not sure if I could deal with everybody knowing me. Mm. I couldn't be like a Rodney Smith type mm. person because mm. I'd end up just going around and just say, well, you all just leave me alone, <laughs> yeah. you bunch of, yeah. you know, kind of things. Does, from your point of view, does this mean that, the kind of the hair colour is going to have to stay. I mean, <laughs> does this mean that kind of going forward, if you said, right, you know, we're going for a slighter shade of more purple, mm. could that cause a potential public outcry? And could we have, <laughs> could we have hair gate mm. kind of going forward? Well, you see, that's the the trick. I have actually been switching it up a little bit, like putting in a little more purples at Shucks. Someone mm -hmm. actually called me uh, the purple-haired person, which wow. uh, made me a, uh, a little mad. I say, it's like, I want to be like, it's pink. Can you see? It's like, oh, is it too purple now? Because pink is the brand, right? Like, very intentionally yeah. for... Uh, three and a half years now. It's it's on my business cards. It's on my profile pictures. That's yeah. how people recognize me. Um, so I don't know if I could go full on like a blue or a yellow or something, but I definitely play around within the the pink spectrum. Yeah, I think Tony Miller has experimented a little mm, bit yeah. with kind of coloring his hair a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And I must admit, I'm not. I kind of look at him slightly differently. Mm. I'm wondering if he's maybe going to head towards the kind of the the reds. Mm. And I think he would look fabulous in red. But it'd take a little bit of time yeah. for me to kind of adjust. Um, For the people that you spoke to that mentioned ludology, was it kind of strange or different being kind of recognised for being like a podcast personality type? person because i take it you're used to people coming up and saying oh yeah i've seen you do this you know mention this could i ask you a couple of questions in relation to this topic kind of thing and you're just getting mm. people coming up and going i listen to you yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i've had uh in the past the i've made great games or really like the games mm. that i've designed and published but they're not super well known you know, so I don't have a ton of people coming up to me yet for the games that I've designed. And I've done little things here and there. So people will be, they're like, I know you. You're Emma. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's me. And they're like, yeah. So it's always a little like, okay. But when it's for the podcast, they're like, you've made a thing that I enjoy. And that's really gratifying, you know, to have a specific thing that they've recognized that's helped them out in... Uh, one way or another. Um, I think just the the representation as well. Like, obviously, mm -hmm. I think I have a lot of values beyond just my gender, but I've had people come up, you know, and say, you know, uh, women and men. It's just like, it's just really gratifying for me to be able to listen to uh, a woman and to identify. Like, that's what, what it's all about, right? You see yourself more in a person that you can identify with. Um I, oh my gosh, at Shucks, I had, and I feel like rain in my emotions right now because I had this father come up with uh, his nine or 10 year old daughter and like wanted her to speak to me as a game designer. And she was a game designer. She's like, oh, she wants yeah. to design games. And I was just like, oh, what's your advice? That's what he asked. I'm like, I can't even speak right now. I'm so <laughs> verklempt. I just want to like sit here and explode because this is yeah. uh, such an amazing experience. Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, like my daughter, who um, when she listens to shows, mm. she says, "Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite happy listening to you know some of the funny guys. Yeah, they'll be mm. okay." But if you've ever got you know 
if, if there's ever a woman kind of guesting on the show, I'm definitely listening to that because it's a case of I, because I kind of identify kind of better with that kind of out, mm. out the gate kind of thing. And it's like, okay, and that has a kind of like an impact mm. on me and when I'm kind of, not. it's not like selecting guests because I just like, you know, go outside and just go, please come on my <laughs> podcast. I just ask, you know. Anyone, mm. uh, anyone at all. And then there's special guests, obviously, like yourself. It's not like I sent you a begging message or anything. Please come back on and buy myself. <laughs> um, kind of anything like that. But I think mm. it's still, yeah, I think it's still important that um, there's no point in me saying kind of, oh, well, I don't think this represents me. It's like, well, it's going to represent somebody and that's yeah. the important thing that they'll yeah. get kind of something, something out of it. Have you got plans to kind of, is there certain things that you're wanting to bring on the podcast? the podcast itself mm-hmm. um that you would like to kind of bring on that you would like to kind of change or anything like that at all mm. uh, i think I, I definitely have plans and ideas for guests to bring on i guess one of the things we uh gail and i and scott had talked about a little bit was uh technology and integration of perhaps some digital elements. And I know for a lot of people from the board game hobby side of it, it's very focused on board games, you know, video games are the devil, like apps are the devil. There's definitely a small vocal contingent of people, but I'm, I'm excited in game design. I'm excited in experience design. Uh, I've worked digitally and, physically in the past and I just want to see and not necessarily like oh all board games should be on Steam or Tabletopia or whatever but you know what innovations I think I think innovation is probably the best term for what I'm looking for like I'm just really excited to see uh, technological innovations like I got to demo the Tebaru at Gen Con which is and the what new... Is, what is it like? Because I'm interested in it. Because to me, it seems like a lot of RFID technology, mm-hmm. which allows... To, it's an enhancement of the game as opposed to the replacement of the game. And I was talking about kind of... been talking quite recently, actually, mm-hmm. about there's a project, or there was a project on, I think, on Kickstarter, Um which was all about kind of almost like replacing board games. And I mm. see that gets a huge amount of backlash from people. Because mm. I think, because I've got like the microphone is currently sitting on um, Chronicles of Crime and also mm. Skulk Hollow by Pencil First Games. Um, but, you know, but Chronicles of Crime is one of those games that if you don't, ha- if you don't have an app, you mm. don't have the game. So it's yeah. entirely interlinked. But people say it works very, very well because mm-hmm. it's not trying to replace it. It's almost trying to enhance it. And you could use, you could, you could kind of have um, Chronicles of Crime potentially as a physical game, but it would almost be like the Sherlock Holmes consulting detective type game. There'd be a lot of reference stuff you'd have, yes, have, exactly, to, exactly. have to go through. Um what did you think of um, Tembera? And I'll try and pronounce it because I can't. I'm, I'm just like going. I I don't know if it's tomato or tomato. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, Teberu. So for I, I studied Japanese a little bit back in college, and it's like the katakana, the Japanese characters that represent English uh, con- uh, word fragments, basically. So it's table but how it would be pronounced if it was written in katakana basis so like mm-hmm. teberu like the r's and l sounds are interchangeable so it's like basically table in uh, katakana japanese pronunciation anyways i really liked it i and i realize i'm kind of i'm kind of a sucker for these things but i'm also kind of a luddite I, hmm. I'm not the first person to buy the hot new phone or the hot new technology. Usually someone has to persuade me that it's worth it. I'm like, ah, oh, fine. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a weird combination of I love technology, but I kind of a grandma sometimes with not wanting to switch whatever I'm doing. But it was... <laughs> I'm just sorry. I'm just imagining you when you get old, you switch to the blue rinse. Instead of the pink one, yeah, it's yeah. a pop. It's a popular thing over here in Scotland that <laughs> mm. when 
when a lady gets to a certain age that mm-hmm. she moves over from having grey hair to having a blue rinse. Oh yeah. And I'm yeah. just imagining <laughs> Yeah. I'm not I'm not mocking I'm no. not mocking at you, I'm mocking with you. Yeah. Kind of thing. But uh, I love it. I can't sorry. wait. So <laughs> Uh, yeah, so for, first of all, for people who haven't heard about the Tebaru, it's a complete, uh, it's a console, is the way that they describe it. So it's not a game in itself, but it's something for games to be played on top of. It's a fold-out RFID-enabled board, so when you put the board pieces, you put the board game on top of the, the Tebaru, and then you put the pieces on, and they can read the RFID through the, the board part and into mm. the receptor. Uh, and then one of the most important part is RFID dice. So you roll the dice, they speak to, you need to have your own tablet or device that it hooks into, and that acts as the display. Um, So we played their version, because it's Simon Games, uh, they played, we played the version of Zombicide that they made specifically for the Tebaru, and... I was a little nervous because I was like, I've never actually played Zombicide before. I hope this is not going to be a problem because they probably assume that anyone playing this has played Zombicide. Uh, And I learned. Like, I didn't have to have played Zombicide. Oh, and they asked, like, at the beginning of the demo. They're like, so everyone's played Zombicide before. I'm like, no, I actually haven't. Uh, But it was fine. Was it giving kind of guidance and stuff like that when you went through? I mean, is, does that kind of allow you to kind of like, is it like the kind of like the Microsoft Windows paperclip yes. that pops up? <laughs> I mean, uh, does it, kind of, it yeah. looks like you're trying to play zombie oh side here. Yeah, but not like as horrible as that makes it sound. But everything, it's, it's very in the background. Hmm. So it has, um, so you start off with your characters on the space, all player characters have their own RFID so you can track their stats. The hmm. they save on the costs by all the other pieces don't have our like all the zombies don't have RFIDs, but they can they you track that manually. They're like remove four zombies from this space because that's how many damage you did or whatever. Hmm. Uh, but it's yeah. says so you can move it over and it's like okay now you can do this. And oh and you also have to have your own phone device. So you're tracking your own character on your phone and when it gets to your turn, yeah. you press the button, you do your stuff. It leads you through the game, especially in the beginning, but then once you start going and if you get stuck, you know, it can help you out. But it does all the maintenance of it. I know some people really like that aspect of Zombicide. is like looking up, like calculating, like, okay, now these zombies come from here. But for me, it's just like so much smoother. It did the things. It showed me the weapon that I was using. I rolled the dice. It showed the dice up on the screen. Uh, and then there was cutscenes too, which was kind of nice. Like you, we stumbled upon this non-player character and they had a backstory. And so we got a little flavor and some music in there. So... Everything just worked pretty seamlessly, even though for, it's such an early demo, like it's not coming out for a while, but it was already pretty advanced. Mm. Um, and I just like that we could just be in there playing the game. There wasn't a lot of setup. You didn't have to read a rule book at all. Like, again, never having played Zombicide, never having read the rules, and only having the guidance of the system, I felt completely at home with it. So that's quite... That's quite refreshing. Mm. The interestingly, one of the things that I heard people not like about it was going, um, "What happens if you know if you miss a roll and then somebody says oh, it's okay, just fine. You can just you can just have that.' You know, it was kind of almost in the cuss, and people were going, mm. "This does not allow you to cheat. It does not allow you to kind of give people a break if they're having a rubbish time, kind of thing." And mm. I was like, "Kind of, hmm, I think you're kind of clutching." Kind of thing. I think my only, my only concern with a system like this, is that um, the money involved around it, mm. and and how much it's going to be, and if it's going to be like a, a luxury, um, again. And I, my my concern for the hobby at the moment is that we're talking about kind of inclusion and representation mm. and things like that. Yeah. But there's still very much a kind of my concern over a financial barrier because board games seem to be increasing slowly in price. And this is mm-hmm. sometimes influenced by kind of external factors like potential tariffs and cost of manufacture mm. and stuff like yep. going up. And the other one is, do we think we can potentially get $90 out of what we know is a $75 game? And that can... You know, that kind of concerns me is that we grade it, we grade it up. So there will be people that will buy, 
you know, that they'll buy um, Tiburu, they'll, they'll buy that and then there'll be others that'll be left there going, well, we have to wait until, you know, Steve says we can go around and play with his toy because mm. he's the only one that can afford it. Yeah. That's, that's my only, you know. But then is it likely to drop in price? This is the, this is the only other thing because every console that I've seen and if it is claiming, you know, if it's going down the console route, mm-hmm. every console that I've seen, the base price usually drops through the floor after a couple of years. Yeah. Unless, of course, you're Nintendo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which, seems to maintain, which seems to maintain yeah. its kind of horrific prices. Uh, so if they said, and, you know, that they said we could share this information, but nothing's confirmed yet. They said the price is going to be about $100 for the console without any games. And then the games on top of that, you know, about mm. the cost of what is on the side would be um, mm-hmm. or high, like a $60, $70, $80. So there's definitely an investment there. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I would say, though, there is potentially some upsides for accessibility by having the device, just the teachability for people to get into the board game space. It's not just the money costs of the pieces. A lot of it is the time, too. So you might have the the money to be able to purchase. You might be able to save up to purchase one of these things, but you don't have time to sit around for three hours reading the rule book. And then when your friends come over, you know, you don't have a lot of time with your friends. You might not be able to like go over the rules with them. But if this is something you can just bring to a board game cafe or bring to a friend's house, lay it down, and all of a sudden you're playing without a lot of setup time, then that could potentially be more accessible than a lot of board games are currently. I was thinking about accessibility in terms of um, things like color blindness and things like mm-hmm. that as well, because that is still a big, you know, that is still for a lot of people is a big issue. Yeah. Um, an ongoing issue. And uh, for people that are even kind of have visual kind of problems as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can imagine this telling you what cards, you know, you're about to play or you know, actually describing where you are. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having kind of like audio descriptors mm-hmm. on places within the board. So everybody, you know, you could switch that on so everybody knows where it's going to go. Um, so I can see that kind of being a benefit. Somebody saying, well, I've, you know, I'm colorblind. Because one of the things, and you'll be aware of this, um, with the video game side of things mm. is that there's a, a lot of accessibility with regards to colorblindness. It seems to be something that's handled is being handled better and better over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, accessibility with regards to kind of visual impairment and colour blindness is something which is a very hit and miss within the tabletop industry. People either get it very, very right or it's something that they sometimes even completely forget about. So yeah. I reckon that, yeah. that that could be a nice little kind of um, that could be a nice little kind of application as well. Um in terms of design and yourself has has been involved in ludology has that spurned you on to dig out the a4 notepad and start bringing some stuff that you were thinking about kind of back to the table again Mm. has it spurned you on to be kind of more kind of uh creative getting back and more into the designy side of stuff (laughs) <laughs> a4 being that size of paper that's not quite exactly eight and a half by 11 and when you try and uh co-design with people across the pond you're using different paper sizes and it's a disaster um, <laughs> and you're gonna yes. say oh right but we have the right size and you are just inches it's terrible it is true i agree we- that was the entire battle of independence. That's what it was fought on. <laughs> Paper sizes. Yeah. It was maps. We're going to meet here. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a nice little party and we're going to agree it. And because the American sizes were different from the UK <laughs> sizes, we all ended up in the different places. There was a big argument. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, that's where washing went. That's enough. Enough is enough. <laughs> we're going to get our own paper sizes mm-hmm. from now on. You're not going to tell us what we're going to do. And you can take your red cover on your notebooks and you can go away kind of thing. And that's how it that's how it entirely kind of panned out. Yeah. Are you doing more design stuff? That's what <laughs> Completely historically accurate. Uh yeah. I mean <laughs> yeah. part of getting on Ludology, I've been 
doing a streaming show with Gen Con called Table Takes, which is a weekly board game news show. I've been doing my own stream. All of it is in service of the main goal, which is getting more games designed, getting more games published. Of course, doing all those other things take time and can take away from the design process as well, which is like a catch-22. I look at like, oh man, all of this was to get smarter and better at game design, and now I don't have as much time to design games, but that's that's my main goal, and that's my main intention, and on Ludology, being able to talk to such smart people, uh, just being around really experienced designers has motivated me to to make more of my own stuff and you know every time I do it is more of a reminder that it's like oh that thing that I've been working on I need to get back to it mm-hmm. uh, I think mm-hmm. now is a good time to shout out JR Honeycut and Waitress Games and the design retreats so one of the things that's really helped with this is this design retreat that I went on uh, was it last week or the week before? Time is blurring together. Uh, last week, yes. Just came back from Portland for this week-long design retreat. JR wow. rented a house, um, invites a bunch of people to come to the house. We're basically just in the house for a whole week making games, playtesting games, redesigning those games, giving each other feedback, and just having that focused time without distractions and the things in normal life that always end up getting in the way. It was a really great time to focus. Because uh, that's the tricky part. When you have so many things, so many exciting things going on in your life is design takes button chair time. And you just really got to sit down and hammer away at these things to make them a reality. Yeah, it's doing the boring stuff as well. Yeah. As in, do you know what I mean? It's kind of like play testing this with, you know, 52 different ways of trying to break it kind of thing. And then yeah. breaking it and then having to fix it again and then going, Dad, I didn't like the mechanic anyway, and throwing the whole thing out and then mm. sitting on the stairs and having a little cry to yourself yes! wondering why you bothered yeah. in the first place yeah. kind of thing, which everybody has has been in kind of that, in kind of that place. Um, have, in, then is that... Has being on Ludology, has that encouraged you to kind of revisit kind of different design techniques apart from your own? I mean, you obviously Mm. have a way of, you know, how you go about the design process, but has that made you kind of do a little bit more research and say, well, maybe should I approach it from this angle? Do I approach it from that angle kind of thing? Has it made you kind of look on things in a different way? Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I the guests that come on have such different processes. And we've also talked Mm. to people. uh, We talked to Jen Sandercock recently, who does the edible games. Uh, We talked to uh, Jerome a while back, who's very much in the hobby side. Uh, We talked to people doing manufacturing and mass market games. And there's just, we think of board games, the industry is this one thing, but it's really like 50 different things like just uh tons of niches that don't even really interact that much you have the the storytelling games part you have the role-playing games section of it you have the minis games and the combat games you have the weird indie games you have the hobby games you have the mass market games there's just so many different spaces and i think people who just come at it from the hobbyist side have an assumption of what a game should be and what a game should look Mm. like so being on Ludology and talking to these people from wildly different parts of the the game design spectrum has made me think more about these things and think about you know am i just am i a hobby game designer, you know, maybe I'm going to try my hand at designing role-playing games, or I'm going to try some more weird experiential games, uh, which I think is is good. I think some people who get stuck as designers are stuck because they think games have to be a certain way or a certain thing. Yeah. And mm. realizing that, you know, a game can, can be you eat a uh, 
a tart. And if it's a chocolate tart, you're assassinated. And if it's a jam tart, you survive. Like that's one of Jen Sandercock's games. Uh, there's so many different things that a game can be. And I'm excited to make that. I'm excited to see more of that in the world. I'm, I want to see more weird, interesting games. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, Wingspan is a perfect example of that, of a game that came from kind of nowhere and is now a game that, you know, lots of people get to the table on a regular basis. And mm. it was a different kind of look. It was a different kind of feel. It was also kind of like potentially a different take. Mm. And people went absolutely, you know, bananas for it because, you know, of, of it created kind of like a massive kind of um, stir at the time. I mean, is there, is there a game style or mechanic that you would like to design that you haven't taken the plunge on yet that you'd love to get your you know, get your kind of your, your your hooks into to say right okay this I'm going to try this because I've not had the time the resources or whatever ooh that's a tricky question because I'm working on a lot of different things right now from um, like I recently, I started designing role-playing games and I'm working on a very narrative experiential game with one of my designer friends. Mm-hmm. I think okay. I'll, I will say a couple of things. Like one, I'm just starting to scratch the surface of that I'm really excited about is, uh, emotions in games and inspiring having a game that's mechanically very interesting where you're making interesting mechanical choices. So it's very much a game, but at the same time, it's inspiring emotions of like non-typical board game emotions of uh, like joy or like emotional loss. Like there's a narrative character element. So you start to feel, you know, connected to other characters. So an interesting mashup of like a board game and a role-playing game you have a lot of connection and interaction but um not necessarily in a role-playing space i think the other one i would say is i would really like man i want to design just like a really complex three-hour euro game I don't know if I will ever do that or if I'll ever put up with the design process long enough to have that happen. But like a, a magnum opus where all the pieces are interesting interlocking systems. So I usually just design the system. I'm like, oh, that works really cool by itself. And that's the whole yeah. game. But to really masterfully put together multiple systems into one complex whole, I think would be a very fascinating design challenge. What would you do on though? What would the theme be? Um, I have a few themes that I'm playing around with that I haven't quite nailed down the mechanics for. So, uh, what to Eat After the Apocalypse is a game that I've been working on mm. that's all about post-apocalyptic survival, but not your typical, yeah. like, foraging combat game, but it's really all focused around, like, no combat. You're just going around finding things to eat, and the things that eat you, things that eat you, the things that you eat will either mutate you or uh, have some other effects on you and you're going to different locations mm-hmm. and gathering these things. So I'm not sure if mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's a game I'm working on. I'm not sure if it'll end up being that complex thing. Another game that I've worked on a while ago that I really want to get back to is Sofas for Sale. So the vibe of this game is uh, late 80s, early 90s. You go down to Ernie's Discount Furniture Emporium uh, because it's the 80s, 90s. You don't have and because it's a shady place, you don't have credit cards, you have to go to the ATM and get out cash. You're sitting on the sofas, which is the main mechanic, so that other people don't buy them. And you're kind of like a competitive um, like grocery store dash kind of game with different currencies and worker placement and locations. 
Uh, again, I don't know if that's going to end up being a very complex game, but it's a theme with different systems that I'm not sure yet exactly how they fit together. That just sounds... It's, I just I couldn't even begin to put something together. <laughs> I'd go like that. Mm. I, I just... No, I kind of got... I'd go, oh, and I'm going to do this, and then this is going to react with this, mm. and then this is going to react with this. And then somebody would come in and just go, okay... If I put three resources here, mm-hmm. that multiplies up to 27 and I win the game. Yeah. And I'm just like going, damn! <laughs> and then it's another, it's another board game kind of thrown away out the mm. window kind of thing. Um, I just, do you, do you think we could run out of, do you think we'd run out of ideas and mechanics? Do you think we're just going to get kind of different iterations? Because I haven't seen it so far. I mean, board games have been going mm. on for a while. Do you think that there's a likelihood we're going to reach the point where folk just go, ah, this is too similar to this mm. kind of game. I'm not interested in this kind of kind of experience. Because the number of games out there is fairly overwhelming. I mean, Essen's just, you know, Essen is pretty much round the corner here. Mm-hmm. It's not physically round the corner. I'm not going to go out my house and Essen is just round the corner. <laughs> but date-wise, yeah. that'd be cool though, because I'd be there. Mm. But then I'd have to put up with board gamers, so I don't mm. know if I'd be able to deal with it. <laughs> um, but there's going to be, you know, at least a thousand games mm-hmm. kind of released at Essen. I mean, do you think we could reach a point where folk just say, I've kind of seen everything that I want to see? Or do you think still undiscovered countries of delight that we haven't visited? I think we're just barely starting to scratch the surface. And. I mean, you're right. There's thousands of games that come out every year. There's Mm. a a lot out there. There's a lot of competition. But Mm. I think a perfect example is Jason Tagmeier Buttonshy Games with their recent monthly 18-card design challenges. So, yeah, Buttonshy Games, known for doing 18-card card games. They recently started doing contests with a theme where – yeah, you're supposed to fit within the theme, you submit the games. So for the last month, their theme was every card has to be the same. Uh, 18 cards and go. So the fronts and the backs of the cards can be different, but every individual card is looks printed exactly the same. Something like 220 entries to this I competition. Know, I, I, just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't. Yeah, I I just like I sent in my entry, which was just eighteen cards with the word "how" and a question mark on them, mm. and then I just sent that in because <laughs> uh, you know I, I was just like how how how, how? well exactly, how? but this it's such an incredibly tight design space, two hundred twenty entries and entries, and I watched the video for it, and the twenty finalists they selected were very different. Like within this tiny design space, they came up with all sorts of stuff. So you could run thousands of these contests. Be like, like the one they're running for this month is uh, you're playing 18 cards, you're playing without a table. So it's a game that you would be playing standing in line at a festival or whatever. The whole constraint of it is you can't have, yeah. you, you can't require a surface to play on. And I'm guessing they're going to get a few hundred entries for that as well. So just looking at that, just 18 cards within these limitations, all the contests you could have, the number of ideas that come out of that. I don't see things running out anytime soon. I also think there's a huge unplumbed depths for different emotional experiences in games. Things like Fog of Love and uh, Holding On, The Troubled Life of Billy Care are two games that came out recently that are just scratching the surface of this, but I think there could be thousands of games that were about love and loss and connection and disconnection. And again, making these emotional experiences in ways that are, I guess, more accessible than a role-playing game. Like I love playing role-playing games. They can be very hard for some people, you need to have a lot of creativity and imagination. They're very free form in a lot of cases. Uh, and you need often a GM or a DM who's going to be God, basically, and put hundreds of hours into these campaigns. Uh, so I think there's a huge unexplored space there for games that inspire emotions other than, oh, I did math and then I win. 
Exactly. <laughs> I'd like to see. I think the biggest trick I saw that was missed was the um, procedurally generated game, the Discover series. Oh yeah, yeah. And that kind of because KeyForge came in and everyone went mm. KeyForge, yeah. lovely. Yeah. yeah. And then everybody, I don't know what's happening with KeyForge now, but I think they've they're doing competitive KeyForging now because they're giving up a prize of they've got a hundred thousand dollars to to give, which is like fair play. Yeah. But then they tried it with um, this. Is it Discover or Dis- is it yeah, Discover? Kind of lands, lands, yeah, lands oh, on. Di- yeah, and that was a procedurally produced kind of adventure game, and it kind of crashed, and people went, "This is rubbish." Mm. And and I I kind of saw, it and I was tempted because I'm the type of person that will see like a game like that, like say Seafall, mm. like a lost puppy that I've got to take home and look after, oh. kind of thing. <laughs> mm. I was tempted to get kind of like a copy of that just to see, and I thought that the main thing. The reason that Keyforge worked so well was it was because it was two unknowns that were brought together mm. and the two people going up against each other. Yeah. And the issue that I saw with like the Discover uh, game was that you had your game and that was it. Mm. And there wasn't any interactivity. And I was wondering, wouldn't it be cool if they had made it so that there was like a set every 50 games could interact with another set of 50 mm. games? And you could find your pair mm. of game, and that that potentially would be somewhere out there, and somebody was playing that, and you could interact with that person across online or by however. Because mm. it, I think you know, to kind of bring people together, and I thought that would have been a cool thing because I think people got it and went, "Yeah, it's all right," but I mean, it's just random, isn't it? Kind of thing. Mm. There's nothing to take me. Whereas Keyforge was, this is random, but I need to show how my randomness can kick your randomness's ass kind of thing, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, and my my thing about that game was, yeah, it's procedurally generated, but with the size and the price point, you're only ever going to buy one of them. You're never going to see the randomness. Like, it might as well not be random. Like like you said, it wouldn't matter. For Keyforge, I played a fair amount of Keyforge. I bought a bunch of decks. A lot of the excitement of that was opening multiple decks and seeing how Mm -hmm. they were different. And the little... Uh, that that did have the little um, surprise, the Mavericks and things. They did a lot of stuff there to really pump up the surprise and the delight from interacting with that as a, a product. Uh, so yeah, that's like like just those things that you're saying right there. Interactivity between copies of the game being not completely identical, having some interactivity, having some like a cracker jacks prize or something in there there's a lot of space to play around yeah just to have that kind of randomness where you could actually put in a code on Mm. like like you did with keyforge you put your code on online and it says right this is your unique deck Mm. it's locked in kind of thing yeah and i always thought it would be cool to say okay um this is your discover code Mm. and we've you've logged you've logged that in and now looking at our records there are you know 47 other people across the world that are playing a game that you can interact with and there'd Mm. be a deck of cards that you could open and then you could interact with somebody else kind of online or something i thought that would have been rather cool Mm. as opposed to you just sitting with a box of stuff and you know um if fantasy flight listen to this and steal my idea (laughs) i will not be happy um Mm. I mean, there's probably not there's probably there's probably not many people who haven't listened to Ludology, and if you haven't, I'd advise you to do it. But for people who haven't listened mm. to Ludology, what would you say is the very quick reason that they should, you know, st- stop that? We'll stop this podcast at the end and then go and listen to Ludology. What would you say, apart from your good self, obviously? Yeah. <laughs> So the thesis of Ludology is that games are worthy of study. I think one of the unique things about it is we elevate board games to uh, a higher level and really dig into the nitty gritty and break the games down. And there's just so much depth, even in the simplest of games. One of my favorite episodes, uh, which was before I came on, so I can say this, is the episode where they broke down the mind. 
And if you haven't played The Mind, go out and buy it immediately. It's an amazing game. Uh, people either love it or hate it. I, I absolutely love the game. But just spending a whole hour plus long episode just going over the social impacts and the math behind it and all of these different things. Mm. Uh, so it really helps you to look at games from a, a different perspective. And I think it's great if you're a designer, you can get a lot of great information. Like the most recent episode we had was Michael Lee from Panda Game Manufacturing. A lot of great information there about actually physically producing your games. But even if you're not a game designer, if you're interested in getting into game design or you just care about games, there's so much fun stuff in there. And it's also just, we try to make it fun and interesting and entertaining as well. So it's, Something that you love and care about, but talked about in a cool way. Yeah, and it's understandable as well, because it's very, very easy yeah. for people to get into deep into a topic, and then you're sitting there going, "That's English. I recognise English. <laughs> I don't know half half the words that are going on that yeah. are kind of going on here." Yeah, that's very important for me is to be accessible, exactly, to make it approachable. I want it to be something that pretty much anyone can tune into and feel like they've learned something from it and that it can be enjoyable. The other thing is we don't do reviews or we don't really, like we break games down sometimes, but we don't, mm, yeah. a lot of podcasts uh, or interviews are about like, oh, which games are good? Which ones are bad? Which one should you buy? Like this one is very specifically about studying games and not about value judgments. Yeah, which I think we need. Yeah. Which is very, very, which is very, very important indeed nowadays. Yeah. You know, instead of everybody going, everything is brilliant, which sometimes happens in yeah. the tabletop space i'm kind of i'm searching for a game that's rubbish and i can't find any because all the reviews say all the games are brilliant but that's yeah. another topic for another <laughs> time um <laughs> if people have listened along tonight and they say um they want to keep an eye on you on the internet webs where do you exist on the internet webs Hmm. I'm Emma Larkins pretty much everywhere. So I'm on Twitter, uh, YouTube. I think I updated my handle on there. I'm on uh, I have my website, emmalarkins.com, on Twitch streaming at Emma Larkins. Pretty much if you just Google that or type that in, you'll be able to find my stuff. There you go. And we should oh, and Board sure Game Geek too. I'm also on there. <laughs> It's like everywhere. So that I'm yeah. going to stop because if, you know, if I don't stop, you're probably going to spread somewhere else. <laughs> like some kind yeah. of social media virus. Thing. Yeah, like a um, virus or a plague. I'm not, I didn't say plague. Mm. I did not say plague gets sinister <laughs> and people die. Mm, Viruses fair. is a mild, <laughs> I was going to say, it's a temperature, basically, usually. Mm. You go to the doctor, the doctor says, yes, you got a virus. There you go. Mm. Um, there you go. Um, thank you very, very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's been um, fun. I will make sure I put all of the links in the show notes so that we have got notes to show. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, then please go to the internet webs and search for We Are Not Wizards and you'll find us on places like Instagram and Facebook and Facebook. Facebook. It's a new website. It's a new one. I'm yeah. Sick of, I'm sick of Zuckerberg. And his nonsense. I've started <laughs> on my own. Because let's face it, if he can steal ideas from other people, then I can do the same. So come mm. and join Face Group. Face Group. Um, face Group. Um, and you can check us out on our blog and our YouTube and uh, all other other made-up places which I'm going to invent over the next 15 seconds. Um, <laughs> if you like what you've listened to tonight, please um, tell someone about it. Check out Ludology. You know, if you're kind of like, oh, this is an okay podcast, go and check out Logology because you then go like, wow, now there's a podcast. Um, <laughs> but also go on to Apple Podcasts and drop us a subscription, drop us a rating or drop us a review. If you are going to be dropping us a rating or review, don't give us 10 stars because it makes us pick headed. But don't give us one star because it makes us cry. Give us something in the middle, like a five. Because it's average. Mm. And we're just a little bit average. But the person who's not been average tonight is a rather wonderful, rather fantastic Emma Larkins. 
I need three other voices kind of singing up the octave so it sounds like a chorus but you can't have everything um there's only two more things to do the first thing is to remember that we're many things but we're not wizards are we wizards emma i mean i can either confirm nor deny i would have to check out your closet see if there's any robes wands in there it's october so it's a yes let's face mm. it um it's on the twitter handle as well so it's not like i can get away from it you know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um and the second thing is to say goodbye so it's a goodbye from emma say goodbye emma goodbye and it's a goodbye from me remember stay safe roll sixes make something awful but until the next time goodbye <laughs>